the second episode of Ireland's Place in Space, the podcast that celebrates the role of Ireland and Irish people out on the final frontier. I'm science journalist Sean Duke and I'll be your host. This podcast is supported by Space Industry Skillnet, who are co-funded by Skillnet Ireland and its network companies. Up until relatively recently, Ireland was not a country with a renowned reputation for the design and manufacture of the materials and technologies that are launched into space. That's changed, however, and today we're going to hear from three people who can tell us more about some of the projects underway here in Ireland to design and build things for space. First, you're going to hear from Michael Martin, engineering manager at Irish company Railtra Space Systems Engineering, who's been involved in building things for space in Ireland since the mid-1980s. Michael will provide some perspective on where we have come from and how the landscape for space manufacturing and design has changed in the past three or four decades. He will also detail some exciting projects that he's currently involved with. Then we'll hear from Lorraine Hanlon, Professor of Physics at UCD, who will update us on the AirSat-1 project. This is the remarkable project underway at UCD, where a group of students and academics are designing and building Ireland's very first satellite. Lastly, we'll hear from John O'Donoghue, the CEO of NBio, an Irish company which started out operating in the medical device sector, which has transitioned with huge success into designing advanced materials to protect spacecraft from radiation and heat. First, let's hear from Michael Martin about where we've come from and where we are headed when it comes to building and designing things in Ireland for space. I began by asking Michael, how hard was it for Ireland to break into the space sector when he started working in it in the mid 1980s? Yeah, yeah, it was a a very difficult and challenging time. We had to start right from scratch and build up our expertise in in space and and particularly in space electronics. We had to develop our own facilities to test and uh, manufacture the instrument. And particularly we had to convince ESA uh, and the scientific community that this Irish team could deliver an instrument that would work in the harsh environment of deep space. The instrument flew on Halley's Comet mission. Uh, It was very high profile. It was the first European Space Agency deep space mission. It was also the first satellite that flew by a comet. So it got worldwide attention with big coverage on on radio and television. Uh, This helped to raise the Irish space profile and showcased what Irish scientists and engineers could do. And then we followed this up with two more instruments that successfully flew on the Russian mission to Mars. And this again demonstrated that the Irish space industry could do and helped to inspire many young scientists and engineers to work in the space industry. And many of these went on to make major contributions to the space sector. Can you tell me a little bit about Railtra Space Systems Engineering? Yeah, Realtra was founded about three years ago and it was with the aim to design and develop uh, cost-effective space systems. Um, the word Realtra is the Gaelic name for galaxy. Um, We have about 10 people working in the company with a combined experience of over 100 years in the design of space systems. I'm the engineering manager and I'm leading a team of eight physicists and engineers in delivering a number of systems to ESA for the PLATA mission and to Ariane for the Ariane launchers. It's a big challenge building uh, instruments for space and they cover the full technology spectrum from physics, mechanical engineering, electronic and software engineering and testing. Space systems have to be fully tested and proven that they can survive in the harsh environments of space. 
This involves a wide range of test facilities to simulate the space environment and check that your instrument works in this environment. There's been huge strides made in Ireland in the last few years on the development of test facilities for space. We now have thermal vacuum chambers, mechanical vibration and shock testers and electrical test facilities. On top of this, there's been a big expansion in the number of Irish companies involved in space and we are expanding our expertise in many areas of space technology. So what technologies and supporting infrastructures are required to build things for space? Building systems for space cover a full range of technology and skill sets. From physics and radiation effects, mechanical design for vibration and shock, electronic and test engineering, to software design for reliable and error tolerant operation. You also need to have an ESA certified manufacturing and assembly facility, which needs to be done in a very clean environment. This gets you the instrument that could possibly fly in space. As you know, in space, you get only one chance and the system has to work first time. So as a result, you need to have a very thorough test program that proves the system or instrument will operate to the specifications and requirements in this harsh space environment. This involves many months of testing in space simulators, and you can also prove that the instrument can work in space. You can then justify to the space agency that your instrument can be certified to fly on this mission. Always a challenge, but a very rewarding challenge. Can you tell me about Railtra's involvement in the PLATO mission? The Realtra team have designed a mission-critical temperature control system for controlling the 26 scientific telescopes that are on the, the PLATO satellite. The Realtra system has to withstand the thermal and radiation effects in space and control the temperature to within an accuracy of 0.1 degree over eight years of the mission. This will ensure that the telescopes stay focused. The system will use 200 sensors and control 52 heaters over an operating temperature range of minus 130 degrees to plus 70 degrees Celsius. We have now completed the design and we're building the first system that will be used to test and qualify the instrument to the Eastern mission requirements. The next step then after that will be to build the actual flight instrument that will fly in 2025. Can you tell me about your work on developing cameras for the Ariane launchers? We have developed and qualified a high-definition video system for the Ariane launchers. It is a self-contained system that can operate without using any of the launcher power or systems. The video system has its own battery and transmitters and will send up to six different high-definition video streams back to the ground stations to live stream during the flight of the Ariane launchers. It will show the different stages, separation of the different stages and the separations of the satellites from the launcher. This is a very challenging development due to the harsh mechanical environment on the launcher. We've just delivered and integrated the first video system onto the Ariane 5 launcher. This Ariane 5 will launch the James Webb telescope at the end of October this year. We are currently working on the second system that will fly on the first Ariane 6 flight. So very exciting times ahead and we're looking forward to, to seeing high definition video in October. Can you tell me about Railtra's involvement and yours in the development of the PLDR instrument which launched recently to the International Space Station? The PLDR instrument was a joint uh, project between Railtra and Curtis Rice Space Division in Dublin. It was also manufactured by Realtime Technologies. It is a data acquisition system for the ESA science module on board the International Space Station. It will be used to measure the microgravity levels when the astronauts conduct science experiments. It was delivered to the International Space Station by an American rocket and we're now really excited to power it up for the first time and start testing of it 
the system. Realtra have a link set up to the International Space Station and our engineer will work with the ISS support team and one of the ISS astronauts to test and commission the PLDR for use during the science experiments. So a really exciting step again for Realtra and we're really looking forward to seeing the data come back from the International Space Station. Are you confident Ireland can build on its growing reputation for the design and building of things that go into space? Absolutely. Ireland has great companies with a proven track record in delivering demanding space systems. We now have world-class simulation test facilities and the pool of expertise is growing every year. There is a real innovative space environment that is backed and funded and we can see more Irish companies involved in large-scale space projects in the coming years. So exciting times ahead. You were listening there to Michael Martin. Now it's time for Did You Know? This is our regular slot where we seek to enlighten you, our listeners, on some interesting aspect of each podcast theme. This episode is all about Irish designed and built things that have been sent to space. Well, some of us may remember the Rosetta mission to intercept a comet back in 2014 with the charming name 67P Cherumov Gerasimenka located 500 million kilometers from Earth and traveling at 120,000 kilometers per hour. For context, that's about 60 times faster than a speeding bullet. It was dramatic stuff, but how many of us knew at the time that there was Irish technology on board the mission? The Irish space company, Space Technology Ireland, located in Maynooth, had provided the critical electrical interface unit which supplied the data, power and communications links between the Rosetta spacecraft and its lander named Philae. The Irish equipment worked perfectly during all phases of the historic mission, including when the systems fully woke up after several years of hibernation during a long space mission to intercept the comet. It was a truly amazing achievement for the Irish space sector. Let's hear now from Lorraine Hanlon, Professor of Physics at UCD, about Ireland's first satellite designed and built here at home. It grew really from the research we're doing in UCD and the Gamma Ray uh, group uh, with my colleagues in physics, because we were building uh, some prototype um, technology for detecting gamma ray bursts, which are these cosmic explosions that we look at. Um, And we realized that the uh, prototype we've been building, which was really foreseen as a a tiny component of one of these huge experiments, uh, we realized that actually it on its own could be a capable detector. And it uses Irish technology or Irish developed technology at the time, um, which was a core company called Stencil. And we worked with them in the very early stages. This has gone back 10 years when we started this work. Um, And in 2017, when the call from ESA Education uh, came out for their Flyer Satellite Programme, which is to allow students and universities across ESA member states to fly their own experiments in space, uh, we thought, hey, maybe this is the time is right now. We had a great bunch of students in the group. We also have our top masters in space science and technology. So we had a pool of of student talent um, and we had a project and it seemed like the time was right to to try it. Um, So that was 2017 um, and we put in a proposal and and were selected. 
And I mean, we we go back a ways. We know each other for a while. So we're both students in UCD in the in the mid 80s. Um, I mean, things have changed a lot. Did you ever think back then that you'd be doing such exciting space projects like this here in Ireland? Absolutely not. No. How could, yeah, you just couldn't even imagine it. Um, I, I knew that people like Susan McKenna Lawler were were stars uh, in in that area. Um, I could never imagine that that yeah that we could actually build something from scratch uh, with our students um, and fly it. You know. So yeah. I suppose from that point of view, it's brilliant, isn't it? How far things have come over the last, God knows, don't want to say how many decades. Yeah. That is. And, that, and that people interested in space science can do stuff here in Ireland, which probably wasn't the case when we left college. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I was very lucky in that Brian McBreen gave me an opportunity to work on what ultimately became uh, the integral satellite. And, that, and that's still in orbit, 18 years in orbit now. So... That's been most of my career, actually, has, has been working on, on that gamma ray satellite. Just on CubeSats generally, AirSat, I think, is a CubeSat. Maybe for those that aren't familiar, what, what is a CubeSat compared to, say, these big satellites that many people may think of uh, that are, are, are used for communications, etc.? We're used to thinking of space research experiments as these, you know, many hundreds of kilos um, that you, you have to use enormous resources to get into space. And about 15 or 20 years ago, um, a group in California came up with the idea of, of how can we mass produce a satellite? How can we make it instead of every satellite, almost every satellite being a one-off and therefore extremely expensive, can we make them small and, and uh, reproducible on a mass scale? So they came up with this format called a CubeSat format, which is essentially a, a cubic volume of 10 by 10 by 10 centimeters cubed. Um, and that became, if you like, the, the building block for, for a CubeSat. So AirSat 1 is a 2U, so it's got two of those building blocks, but you can have CubeSats that are 12U, for example. Uh, so they begin to become larger, but that modularization and standardization means that you can do the manufacturing much more cheaply uh, and mass produce these in a way that's never been considered uh, before that. Yeah. And I mean, space is opening up maybe to academic groups and to smaller countries and all of that in a way that wasn't possible before. Yeah, that's one of the, the big uh, disruptive elements to CubeSats is that groups like uh, ours in UCD and, and hundreds of others around the world are getting their their first taste, if you like, of direct space access through having CubeSats uh, and their low, much lower cost than the one-off bespoke. That was the model up to them. Now, just to finish up, um, so what's the situation with AirSat now? We've had all kinds of disruption, of course. Uh, what's the plan for its launch? Uh, where and when? And uh, yeah, will you be there? <laughs> <laughs> Great question. The, the pandemic has obviously had an impact, although the team have, have worked really hard to mitigate that through the last year, um, but it has slowed us down for sure. Um, and we are in the middle now, I'm just beginning um, to uh, do full environmental testing of this qualification model. And what that means is that all the different payloads on board have been tested under space conditions and have success survived those but now we've built the whole spacecraft um, into its stack 
that has to be brought over to the test facilities uh, that we're using in ESA Academy in Belgium. And that will then uh, be put through its paces. It'll be frozen, heated, frozen, heated, frozen, heated. And then it'll be shaken on a, on a table uh, up and down and, and left and right and uh, randomly and in sinusoidal uh, modes. And they are all to try and replicate the environment it'll experience in the launch vehicle as it's going up. We don't have a uh, defined launch yet. Um, so ESA provide us with that once we pass all the milestones uh, that are coming up. That's part of being in this program is that we get a free launch to space. Um, at the moment, we don't have a launch vehicle. So um, we're waiting on that. It's doing something for the first time like this is challenging, not just technically, but also from a, a legal perspective and a programmatic perspective. We don't really have a framework in Ireland to approve such missions. So we're um, we're in the throes of trying to figure out all that out and getting a lot of support uh, from the relevant government departments uh, on that and from ESA. So, so that's a discussion that's ongoing, but our plan is to deliver the flight model uh, to ESA next year in 2022. And hopefully the launch would take place soon after that. Wherever it's from, we will be there, uh, COVID permitting. Yeah, and all going well, you've proved that you, it can it is possible to build things here in Ireland and get them into space. Absolutely. Um, and as I said earlier, we have companies who are busy working uh, in this area who have flown their hardware. We've been privileged to work with some of those companies on AirSat, and we just think it's a great opportunity now to do more on the academic uh, research industry partnership side well that's wonderful thank you very much and we wish you the very best with that we'll all be watching it very closely it sounds very exciting thanks lorraine bye bye you were listening there to professor lorraine hanlon now it's time for irish space people this is a regular slot where we feature irish people past and present who've made an impact on space exploration and research or may do at some point in the future I'm talking today to a prospective future Irish astronaut, Nora Patton from County Mayo. Nora is a global faculty member at the International Space University and a citizen astronaut candidate with Project Possum. I caught up with her recently at her home in Dublin and asked her first whether science or space was part of her family life when she was growing up. Yeah, so I grew up in Mayo in a town called Ballina in the west of Ireland and science was not in my family. My father was an insurance broker, my mother was a swim coach um, so I guess that visibility of science wasn't uh, in my immediate um, surroundings. What first triggered your interest in space? When I was 11 I got to go and visit NASA uh, in Cleveland, Ohio um, so that was certainly an eye-opener. It was the first um, kind of spark of interest in space um, growing up in the west of Ireland there wasn't a huge visibility of the space industry or space careers so certainly that opportunity of visiting NASA when I was still in primary school was um, definitely for me a, an opportunity to seed that interest in something very different. Why do you want to travel to space? Yeah I always find this a uh, an interesting question which I get asked quite often 
And really, it's been something I have been interested in and working towards for many, many years. So to get to space would be, I guess, the realisation of not just a dream, but something that I have spent a long time and a lot of effort to really try to achieve. Um, And so I don't really look at it as an end point, but rather um, a significant point along a very long journey, uh, if that makes sense. What steps have you taken to realise your space ambitions? Yeah, I can probably go back to secondary school when I first started to try and map out a path into the space uh, industry and to have a space career. Um, I had done a lot of research in terms of the undergraduate courses that were available um, and a lot of the astronauts had studied astronautical or aeronautical engineering and so that was what I decided to study um, at the University of Limerick. And I guess uh, I was always on the lookout for conferences and programs and courses that I could do over the years that were space related. And in 2010, I studied at the International Space University. um, And since then, I've stayed part of their staff, um, specifically for their space studies program. And I guess more recently then, in terms of the hands-on, you know, the learning, the training side of things, I since 2017 I've been part of a citizen science program at the International Institute for Astronautical Sciences and that program we've had an opportunity to do um, spacesuit testing and evaluation, high G flights, uh, hypoxia training um, and we've had an opportunity to fly as researchers on a, a microgravity flight and so that's really the hands-on aspect the hands-on element um, and the purpose of the program is to prepare us to fly as researchers on suborbital space flights. If you don't get to travel to space how disappointed will you be? I don't tend to think about uh, not making it to space if I'm honest. Um, for me it's it's been a long road it's been 25 years so far in the making and the way I look at it is that the journey has to be as important as the destination and um, I've learned so much I've had amazing opportunities and I've been able to bring um, a, a huge amount back to Ireland um, so I just need to keep going step by step um, with the goal of someday making making it to space. The European Space Agency uh, recently announced it's looking for astronauts. Will you be applying? Uh, yes, I certainly will apply, but I am very aware that it's a hugely competitive um, program. So I still feel the commercial suborbital will probably be um, a more realistic um, means to get to space uh, compared to the ESA route. That was Nora Patton. Lastly today, let's hear from John O'Donoghue, CEO with NBio, an Irish company that's designing advanced materials to protect spacecraft. I first asked John how he came up with the idea to use advanced materials applied to the medical device and dental sectors in space. When I came up with the original concept that was for putting uh, calcium phosphates onto metals for the orthopedic sector, I had just finished a master's in biomedical engineering. And so my, all of my thinking was in that arena. Um, but 
what we started to realize is that the technology that we had come up with was a, a room temperature manner to put a lot of different things onto the surface of metals. And so that sort of took us out beyond um, the, the orthopedic uh, and dental sectors very quickly. And uh, one of our uh, directors had been with a previous company uh, working with the European Space Agency. So he, he said like that we should highlight what we're doing to the European Space Agency. And um, as soon as we did, um, they were all over us like a rash. It, it was incredible, uh, a little bit surreal in actual fact, because we weren't expecting it. Uh, and it turned out that they had problems uh, with coatings um, uh, for one particular mission. And they were very anxious to see, could we help them to, uh, uh, I suppose, circumvent those issues. Right. Now, tell, tell us what the space, European Space Agency, what they were looking for. They needed a new material. Maybe give us a bit of the background to that. What we found out was that they needed uh, coatings for um, a mission going to the sun, which is the, the solar orbiter mission. And um, they had trawled the world looking for materials that they could put on metals to handle the, the temperatures um, such as to be able to face the sun and um, at about uh, 44 uh, million kilometers distance, uh, be able to open um, apertures in order to allow optical instruments to get very, very uh, brief photographs of the sun. And uh, then um, also to be able to keep all of the electronics in the craft at somewhat around room temperature on Earth. So um, you, you had this colossal. Uh, uh, issue of really high temperature on the face of the craft and yet the internals and the um, the back of the, the spacecraft had to be kept at somewhat room temperature as we would know it. So they couldn't find the material to, to, to address those issues. Um, and we happen to have something that doesn't have organics in it. Like, you know, we, we were putting down a ceramic on the surface uh, for the orthopedic sector. So they asked us, could we do something similar for them? And out of that uh, grew a whole lot of uh, experimental work and a lot, of, a lot of stress and a lot of worry because we didn't have anything immediately either. And um, one day I just remembered, like, you know, that we put down bone very well or synthetic bone very well. And I was wondering, is there any dye that you can put into bone that would blacken it? And then it dawned on me like that, you know, bone was used uh, to do some of the cave paintings in prehistoric times, as well as charcoal. They use char bone. So taking bone out of the fire and just using it as a sort of a crayon on the walls of caves. <clears throat> so. I started to scout around to see, could we find burnt animal bone? And um, we did. Uh, it's very, very readily available. And uh, we knew that we could get it onto the surface of metal very well, but we didn't know to what extent it would solve the problems for the European Space Agency. It didn't match exactly what they wanted, but it was close enough for us to be the solution to their quest. Yeah, and, and this was a... This was a that's an amazing insight you had with the with the wall painting. Uh, uh, you know, uh, how, how did that come to you? Uh, I, I suppose I read a lot when I was a kid and I was fascinated with, um, you know, what, what you know, the, I suppose the, the journey of mankind and what had happened in prehistoric times and uh, just a general interest in history, I suppose. And um, yeah, cave art was something I don't know why I had an interest in it at all. Yeah. But, uh, it was always something that sort of fascinated me. Fantastic. So tell me, uh, where are you at now, uh, 2021? I mean, there's there's a lot of work on into it. Where's the solar orbiter at at the moment? The solar orbiter has gone well out beyond um, 
the sun and is, uh, I suppose it's going to do a flyby of the sun later this year. Um, it launched in February last year, and I was very privileged to be over for that. That was a, an experience I won't forget uh, too readily. Um, uh, so the, the, the Solar Orbiter has already taken images of the sun that have given phenomenal data back to the European Space Agency and to NASA. But there, that was at 77 million kilometers distance. Um, they're waiting for the first of, I think, about 20 uh, flybys of the sun um, that will be at um, 44 million uh, kilometers, as I said. But then the pitch starts to change. So they move from the sort of equatorial plane in 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 uh, uh, packages of the, as, as with each subsequent orbit, they'll be moving up along so that they're going to capture more and more of the solar poles. And um, that, that all of those orbits will happen over the course of the next 10 years or so. And how so, is how is your material uh, performing, do you know, so far? Well, in all of the tests, um, we passed all of the tests uh, that they needed. Our, our material doesn't shed. It doesn't degas. Um, so you don't get any particles or any condensation forming on the optical uh, components or lenses. So it keeps the images very, very sharp. We already knew uh, that they, we, we could tolerate the temperature. In fact, burnt animal bone will tolerate up to 1,400 degrees Celsius, but they only need to go sub 600 degrees Celsius. So we already know that the, the surface is well capable and it, it, you know, it has passed all of the testing, the rigorous testing that the European Space Agency did on it and also Airbus. So it's... It, we're not having a, 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 any issues at all with the surfaces. Uh, and like, as I said, we have two surfaces on there. We have a solar white and a solar black. The solar black is our burnt animal bone, our own uh, proprietary technology in and bio. But we also have a solar white, uh, which is a ceramic, a glass ceramic on the surface of um, radiators on that craft, uh, standoff radiators for each of the scientific missions. And um, uh, it, as I say, it was developed with... Uh, the mechanical engineering department uh, in UCD and is um, that is absolutely standing up to all of the all of the conditions as well and has done in all of the testing. Congratulations on that and maybe we can check in with you at a later stage and find out how you've developed. Take care Sean, thank you. That's all for this, the second episode of Ireland's Place in Space, the podcast that celebrates the role of Ireland and Irish people out on the final frontier. If you enjoyed the show, then please rate or review it on the iTunes podcast platform or any of the other platforms where it's available, including Anchor, Breaker, CastBox, Google, Overcast, Radio Public, Spotify and Stitcher. If you'd like to get in touch with the show to make suggestions or comments or to suggest a story worth covering, please email me, Sean Duke, presenter of Ireland's Place in Space, at seancduke at gmail.com. It's just left now for me to wish you good health until we meet again next time. Thank you for listening.